welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. Just as a reminder, we are still looking for more official podcast sponsors. Um, So if you're interested in advertising here on The Happy Writer podcast, please let us know. You can find our contact information at marissameyer.com slash podcast. One thing making me happy this week, while we were having our uh, quite long podcast hiatus these last couple of months, I was very productive. Uh, Not to brag, but I finished not one, not two, but three books in the last couple of weeks. I admit I'm kind of impressed with myself. Um, These were, of course, projects that I'd been working on for a long time. Some of them have been uh, kicking around for a few years. Actually, one of them dates back to pre-COVID times. That's how long I was working on this book. And it just happened that they all kind of wrapped up right around the same time, which feels amazing to kind of check some things off the list. Um, I'm really excited to tell you more about them. Of course, I can't yet because the publishers control when we can like officially announce and talk about things, but hopefully that will happen soon-ish. And I'm also really excited to have those projects off my plate so I can focus my attention on, of course, another book. What else? Um, Hint, this next one is another fairy tale retelling. So super excited for that. And there will be more information coming I don't know. Someday, someday I will tell you all about them. I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. He grew up in North Carolina, but currently lives in Barcelona, Spain. I am jealous uh, where he is a writer and a stay-at-home dad. His debut novel, Into the Sunken City, came out last month. Please welcome Dinesh Theroux. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Marissa. I am so excited to have you. I really, really love this book. I'll just like, full disclosure, I got a really early copy. So I read it quite a long time ago, like last summer or something, um, and was able to give a blurb for it. And I just thought it was fantastic. So here we are so many months later, it's finally coming out. And I'm really excited to get to gush about it. Ah, me too. I am so thrilled to be here and getting your blurb, as I shared, was just one of uh, the real highs of the journey. I went running and screaming through my house, finding the kids and my wife. And uh, yeah, I'm just so excited for the session. This is going to be a lot of fun. No, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Uh, The first thing that I ask all of my guests, uh, I want to hear your origin story. Did you always know you wanted to be a writer? How did you get here? Yeah, so I I stumbled into it um, when I left my last job. Um, I always loved to read, uh, and I was actually an English double major at one point in college, um, but I had never written a book or, or anything close to that length. Um, but I used to be in marketing, and I left that job in 2018 to stay home with our second baby. Um, he was six months old at the time. And uh, while I was home with him, I started reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Do you know the book? I do. I'm trying to think if I ever read it. <laughs> I don't think I ever read yeah. it, but I am familiar. It's 
I mean, it must be like thousands of writers owe, owe their works to yeah. Julia Cameron or, or to artists generally. Um, I just loved it. it um, it's a book about creative refueling. And I was a little bit burned out from my last job. Um, and one of the big practices it recommends is called morning pages. The idea is you write three pages, longhand, stream of consciousness, just dump your thoughts out. Um, and it's this kind of magical way of like, clearing your mind, going deeper on reflections that you could uh, um, than you could otherwise. Uh, you start to almost like name some of your fears and self-doubts. Anyway, I was doing this for weeks and just having a ton of fun with the with the journaling and the writing. And um, then my cousin's 40th birthday was coming up. And uh, me and this cousin, we've been through a lot together. We had started a business together. We used to live together. Um, and I started writing some little stories about him. He's one of the biggest characters in our family. And that turned into a gag book that I printed out and gave to him for his 40th birthday. My whole family loved it. I've got another cousin that to this day, like she keeps it on her coffee table as if every person who comes into her home wants to read this ridiculous thing. <laughs> and um, it just gave me a ton of motivation. It just had me feeling like I'm having fun writing and and my family was into this and maybe I'll go a step further and maybe I'll try to write an actual novel. Um, and I did. And uh, I was really proud of that. You know, if you've never written 80, 90,000 words, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, I, I pulled that off. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The quality was there. Uh, sorry, the quantity was there. The quality, you know, it, it needed to level up a little more. Um, but anyway, then I sent that out and I got a bit of interest from agents and I didn't get an offer of representation, but just getting uh, a few requests on the manuscript gave me a bit more motivation and made me feel like maybe I have like the smallest amount of talent in this. Um, and as writer journeys go, I wrote several more books over years. Um, and uh, one of them was into the sunken city and eventually found the agent I have today uh, back in late 2021. Um, and it's just been a dream. It's been an incredible career change and swerve. Um, and, and I'm feeling super fortunate. I love it. Does your cousin like take all the credit for your, <laughs> your current writing success? He's like, yep, I started it all. <laughs> He, he should. He, um, yeah, I, I mean, he, he's such a good sport too, because this book was totally like, uh, was a, was a real roast, but he just like leaned into it. He <laughs> became the persona. Uh, the, t the title of the book was called geo powers, like this enigmatic man of mystery. And it, the subtitle was the demise of email and other unsolicited advice. It was just a totally ridiculous thing. Uh, but I owe him so much because he just he like leaned into it and became the person. Uh, so it was it was really fun. I love that. And I think it's so funny hearing you talk about it. It sounds, of course, very humorous, very comedic, which is not it, into the sunken city. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm uh, I read everything. And I the the more I write, the more I find I, I like to kind of write uh, in a lot of different uh, areas, genres. Um, so anyway, I'm uh, maybe my personality is a little bit all over the place and that comes out through my reading and writing. Uh, but yeah, that's how I got going. Yeah, no, I love that. And and I'm the same way. I get, 
I can't, I can't like stick to one genre. I, I come back. Like it'll be like a little fantasy. Now let's hop over to contemporary. Now let's, let's work on a graphic novel. Okay. Back to fantasy. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I like to keep it interesting for, for me and my, my muse, I guess. Yeah. It's fun. It keeps it, you know, it kind of um, keeps you fresh and, and you find new challenges and um, yeah. I, I, so I love that. And obviously you're very prolific and just finished three books. I immediately was like, wow, are we going to get like a year of Marissa, like the year of Sanderson? Like I hope uh, so. that's, that's, that's incredible. Congrats. I know. I was really <laughs> excited sending them all to my editor and it's like, I don't, know what you thought the publishing schedule was going to look like, but I have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's so great. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've hinted now. Would you please tell listeners about your debut novel, Into the Sunken City? Yes. Um, so the quick pitch on Into the Sunken City is in a climate-ravaged near future, Jin and her sister Tara are just scraping by until a mysterious drifter arrives offering them the score of a lifetime, a massive stash of gold hidden in the sunken ruins of the Treasure Island Casino in Las Vegas. Okay, it's such a clever, clever take on Treasure Island. Uh, At what point were you like, Huh, Treasure Island Casino, Treasure Island classic literature. Like, how did these two things come together in your brain? Yeah, so it was 2020 pandemic. I was home with my kids who were four and two at the time. Um, my wife had this like big, busy job. She used to run a school district, which you know, you can only imagine how wild that was during uh during oh, the pandemic. Gosh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, me, me and the kids, as I'm sure many stay at home parents were kind of losing our, losing our minds at home. (laughs) And, um, I needed a bit of escapism in the evenings and I had been writing and I had this idea for in, in always raining earth, um, which into the sunken city is set in. Um, and I had this idea that like sea levels would have risen massively in this always raining world. Um, and I, I'd never really seen an always raining world done. Maybe, maybe it has been, but, but I just hadn't read it. Um, and I had actually written like halfway into another book where, a lot of things were happening on land and I just kind of got halfway in. And normally I like, I like to kind of finish what I start, but I was just like, this isn't the right plot. This, this isn't going the way it should for this setting. At the same time, I started rereading uh treasure Island, the classic, and it just immediately clicked. I was like, Oh my gosh, I've, I've got this like maritime archipelago earth. Uh, that is a pirate story. That is a nautical adventure. Um, and then as, as weird ideas go, uh, it, it, some, at some point occurred to me that like, there's the treasure Island casino and at what altitude is Las Vegas? Oh, actually in my world, the treasure Island casino would be underwater. Uh, <laughs> And a plot, uh, and and a, a wildly ridiculous plot was born. Um, yeah, that's how it got going. Did you go and like do or watch one of those simulations that, like, if all the ice caps and the glaciers melted, this is what the Earth would look like? And you were like, "Bingo, Las Vegas underwater. It can it can yeah. work." 
<laughs> yes, except that if all of the glaciers melted, it it actually only adds up, I don't know the exact number, but it's somewhere around like 80 feet. So in into the sunken city, it's it's a hyperbolized version of climate change. Uh, sea levels have risen more than four thousand feet. So and and you know and and if you read into the book, you, the, there's a bit of mystery on on what's going on there. So um, um, so yeah. Anyway, it very much like climate change inspired. Um, but, but also goes, goes a step further, uh, or potentially many steps further. Right. Right. As, as the creator, you can kind of wave your hand and do a little magic and <laughs> this is the world we want. So this is, this is how I'm saying it happened. Yeah. That's part of the fun. I, um, I also, um, and, and I think that, um, that's part of what can be unraveled too. I also, uh, I'm dating myself slightly, but I always loved, uh, Kevin Costner's Waterworld. Oh um, yeah. I love that movie too. <laughs> Everyone always makes fun of it and it's like, it's so bad. I'm like, I kind of liked it. I mean, there were way too many jet skis, but <laughs> otherwise <laughs> yeah, I think ridiculous, it's. But like. In a right. good way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I really, I really thought it was fantastic. But it was also kind of like, wouldn't this be so much better and more fun with like a little bit of land, you know, that everyone's fighting over? Mm. Um, so um, so yeah, anyway, I love these kind of like post-apocalyptic tales and settings and and was inspired by some. Uh, and here we are. Yeah. So talk to me about actually creating the setting and and because it is one of those books where as you're reading it, you feel cold and damp. Like as a reader, it's so immersive and just like the descriptions are so bleak. <laughs> it's just so gray and dreary all the time. And you really did a great job of putting the reader there. So what like what were some of the techniques that you used just to try to develop the setting on the page? Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that that was one of my hopes that you'd kind of walk away from reading the book feeling like you're you're like drenched now. Right. You know? I need to find <laughs> a tropical just, island. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need I need a bath or something. Um yeah, I um I I love it when a book is really sensory when it's like yeah when you can feel the raindrops like cascading down your face and so and and for me as a writer I feel like I can do that particularly well when I'm in first person um and into the sunken cities written in first person um so I really tried to just ground myself into the scene and uh, had many scenes where I'd think through like uh, each of the senses and think like, am I hitting these and hitting them like straight out the gate as you uh, as you step into the new scene? And yeah, I, I then was happy to have some like early beta readers who I, I who said some of this, you know, who, who felt like the pages felt damp in their hands, um, which which was just incredible. So started to feel like I was on the right track with some of that. And then I think when I heard some of that, it made me realize even more like go chapter by chapter, go to go scene by scene and and really make sure that I'm doing that, that I'm making it very visceral for folks. Yeah. Well, that's a great tip because it can be easy to kind of forget. Like sometimes when you're writing, 
we we spend a lot of time establishing the setting and the vibe of a story in those first couple of chapters. But then as the plot starts and you you know, are really getting into the action and, and discovering the characters, sometimes it can be easy to forget to like also come back to the setting, also, you know, bring forth those those um, sensory details. And this is a book that definitely carried it all the way through. Uh, thank you. Yeah. You know, the other thing I think that was kind of tricky for me here was the diving, the deep sea diving that they do is in these giant metallic exoskeletons. So on the one hand, like the world itself is is very sensory. You're, you, you know, rain's just cascading down on you constantly and it's cold and it's dreary. Um, but then on the other, you step into these suits and you sink to the bottom of the ocean and your visibility is 50 feet max. And you, you have haptics in the suit, but no sense of touch really you know you have no smell you all, all of a sudden you're in kind of like a like a sensory deprivation so mm -hmm. um anyway I I, th I found that I was very aware of that contrast in writing it and um uh yeah anyway I'm hoping I'm hoping the readers feel a little bit that that I hope that adds maybe a little bit to the to the terror of truly being 3,000 feet below the sea yeah. Um, it it definitely it definitely added to my terror in writing it. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, that's an excellent point. And it is a really interesting contrast. Uh, tell me about the diving. Like, have you been diving? Do you have any experience? How did you research for this? Yeah, uh, as a kid, I had been diving, um, but mostly free diving. Um, and I had done some cave diving as as well. Um, and then last year, I got my uh, scuba certification, my PADI certification. Um, and so I've been diving in California, and then uh, recently in Thailand, actually, which was Ooh. just an incredible dream. Yeah, I love the ocean overall. Um, I actually own a paddleboard and and like to go out on that as well. So I'm I'm a real water baby and and tried to draw directly on on some of that experience. Um but also tried to just research a lot and tried to make the book very real through the research. So, you know, some examples of that um the the topography in the book is all um is all essentially real. I used some online tools to map out what the what uh, what geography would look like if sea levels had actually risen four thousand feet. Um, and there's a map included in the book, but you know all all of the places that are mentioned as land are you know essentially mountains today, right? And um, and I had a real like topographical map that I was using when we're plotting out the adventure and the heist and so forth. Um, and then even the, the sea creatures, uh, you know, the, I actually had a friend just message me on Instagram and, and she was just raving about how she was reading the book and she's like, is this stuff real? And then I looked up kite fin sharks and do they glow blue? And she's like, and they do. You're like, this is real stuff. You know, I was, it was so cool. I, I mean, I literally got that message this morning and, um, anyway, I wanted to just to, as much as I could try to um, try to make that very, very real for folks. Yeah. Um, so I love that because there's nothing creepier to... than underwater creatures. 
Oh my gosh, they're, they're <laughs> truly terrifying. But you know, when you can't see them and when some of them are just gigantic <laughs> and uh, even even the ones that aren't are can can be quite terrifying and can travel in very large numbers. <laughs> so, yeah, and meanwhile, uh, you're stuck in this suit with like with limited mobility. <laughs> like, where are you going to go if this thing decides to eat you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, this book it's a real like genre bender, but there's there's definitely some ocean horror in there. Yeah. Um, I love that. I will say, so I, in my notes, when I was reading the book, um, my notes for the the scenes, the diving scenes, especially when um, when Jin is going like really deep in this suit, uh, my exact words, sense of suffocating and being trapped constantly. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's awful. I, yeah, that, I, I have trigger warnings on my website, <laughs> but I'm now immediately going to go over there and double check that like claustrophobia is <laughs> mentioned. For sure. Um, yeah. Does anything um, that you've seen in your diving, like, was there a, ever a moment where you're like, oh, I need to use this moment or I need to use this, this thing that I've, you know, just come across or like any real world stories that played a part? I, you know, I mean, one of the things that I think stuck with me the most, I had done some cave diving in um, in Mexico, and there's there's something a, a, about like diving on, I mean, into the sunken city, diving under and into something and like through small holes mm. that is, it's utterly terrifying because, because awful. you're sort of like, I think <laughs> I have enough breath to do this, but like, am I going to come out the other side? Everyone says it's like, yeah, you just go through and then you come up, but you know, and so do, doing that at a, you know, a below sea level of like 15 feet versus, uh, and, and even in Thailand recently, I did one of those. It was, they called it like a swim through, um, anyway, it stuck, it stuck with me how like casually guides or instructors will sort of talk about that, but then just how like utterly tense and like my hands clawed together, I felt doing it. So mm -hmm. that was very much in my head when I was thinking about like our characters entering actual buildings and moving down hallways of hotels and casinos, just just how cramped and tense you're going to feel doing this, particularly when everything's waterlogged and mm -hmm. um, uh, and feels like it can fall apart at any moment. No, it's horrifying. It really is horrifying. It really, <laughs> it really just like puts you in that scene. But I also, I love it. I, I love heist novels just for starters. And like the combination of this being sort of a casino heist, but also like post-apocalyptic, but also a retelling of this beloved you know, Treasure Island, like such a great adventure story. The combination of it all worked together in a way that was just like really cool and different. Uh, thank you. Yeah, this is it's a it's a real mashup on the movie front. I think something like uh, the the setting of Waterworld with like some of the characters from Pirates of the Caribbean and like the plot from Ocean's Eleven, you know, exactly, like... <laughs> exactly. that's it. Hollywood, get on that. Calling all authors and book marketers. If you're looking to increase sales, there's a marketing agency that specializes in optimizing and advertising on Amazon. Amplify Marketing Services was founded by Franklin, who has been in the book business for more than 20 years. 
Amplify has promoted over 30,000 books, and they invest millions of dollars each year in Amazon ads. Head to AmplifyMarketers.com to explore their free articles or set up a free meeting with Franklin. That's AmplifyMarketers.com. So tell me about the inspiration of Treasure Island. You said that you were reading it um, and that that kind of inspired this take on it. Uh, At that point, did you go back and how many times have you read the book? Did you reread it to try to inspire? Um, Like how much were you wanting to retell versus create your own? Great, great question. Um, I mean, I had read it as a kid, and then I reread it probably for the first time since I was a kid in 2020. And then I've read it several more times since then. I mean, I love the book. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's one of the classic young adult adventure stories. And reading it um, during the pandemic, where I was looking for that escapism, I mean, it just delivered completely. The adventure, the atmosphere, the pace. Um, the characters it's it's um yeah i i really was just all in on it um but i did have a quibble or two um uh if i can take a quibble with robert louis stevenson we are um, allowed you know, we're allowed we're right. retellers this is why we retell <laughs> yes. things <laughs> we're not there fully we satisfied <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I felt, first of all, the book's written in the 1800s, but essentially every character in it is a white man, mm-hmm. uh, except for Jim's mom. Um, even, you know, it's funny, like at one point, like a pirate shows up to Jim's Inn and and the, the writing is like a tall, dark, nut brown man. But then like a few paragraphs later, you're like, this is actually a white dude, isn't it? <laughs> like, uh, or, or like they sail all the way across the Atlantic and they find someone living on the island they're going to. But like it, it's not a brown person. It's it's actually a marooned white guy. You know, <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, okay, we could probably have a little more diversity in this story, and and that's part of why I wanted it to be centered on two sisters uh, and their experiences, and I really wanted a pretty like diverse global uh, cast, um, supporting cast. So that was one big one. Um, And then my other was, as Jim was progressing through the book, um, he was he was battling pirates and he was becoming braver. um, But like he wasn't really battling any of his inner demons. um, And I didn't I didn't see the like the the flaws or like the things he was overcoming internally as much. And I, I thought that could be re- it could be really powerful to center that more as well. And so in this story, um, Jin and Tara, their dad passed away a few years ago in a diving accident. Um, and they used to go diving with him all the time. And um, and in a sense, it, it was kind of a, a bit of a reckless thing for a father to be doing with his young daughters. Um, because this is an extremely dangerous thing to be doing. In a, in another sense, though, you know, this is how they were making money. This was their livelihood. This is what they had to do to survive. And also their father just loved it and he couldn't not do it. Um, anyway, they're still grieving him a lot in the book. Um, Tara is a much more hopeful character who 
is is um, really uh, it, it wants to set out on the adventure. Um, and Jin is much more of a survivalist, and she's been she's been taking care of Tara. She became Tara's guardian, Tara's the younger sister, and she's scared to go diving again. Um, and she's still dealing with a lot of trauma from her dad's passing. Um, and I hope that makes for a a powerful and hopefully emotional character arc for for readers. Mm-hmm. I loved both of the sisters and I love a sister relationship. I don't have any sisters myself. Um, so I feel like part of me, like when I read or a book that has a really close sister relationship, there's a little bit of vicarious living there. Um, I ha- I have one and I'll tell you, I'm both like excited and terrified to hear what she thinks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> waiting with bated breath. I love that. Um, So I will say, so I just finished um, a book. So my book that's coming out actually tomorrow, um, as of the day that this gets posted, is my first time writing a book completely from a male perspective. And you wrote a book completely from a female perspective. What was that like? Were you nervous? Did you like have a lot of questions for like the women in your life? Or how did you do that? I was a bit nervous and I, and I definitely, I mean, my wife's probably read the book, uh, like four, she's read the book at least four or five times. And then she told me this week that she's going to start the audio book. And I, I was kind of like, man, like, I, I mean, no, are you, you sure? You know, I was like, I exactly. <laughs> I was trying to talk her out of it almost. And, uh, I, I definitely had, uh, several beta readers as well who are women. So, so yes, but it, you know, I, I think because of Treasure Island being a being so white male centric, I just felt like I I really wanted two sisters to be leading this story, and I and I just wanted to train change that up pretty dramatically. So yeah, it just felt like the right the right thing for the story that I was, I was trying to tell. Yeah, well, I really liked it, um, and it's hard to imagine it. Of course, we have the original Treasure Island told from a male perspective, um, but this story, it, it does feel right. It definitely feels like it is Jin's story. It's her arc, um, and the way that she loves her sister is so you know deep and clear and really well done. Oh, thank you. Uh, that said, one of my favorite characters has to be Billy, uh, who is the, the drifter kind of piratey character that shows up, um, and just totally turns these girls' lives upside down. Um, and she is such a character. She's so quirky. Yeah, she, uh, she brings all the entertainment to any party she's at. (laughs) Um, She's just a ton of fun to write. You know, it's just the minute she's in a scene, you're just sort of like, all right, what kind of zany things are are we going to have Billy up to right now? Yeah. and I, I don't want to give too much away, but you'll find for readers out there that Billy has a very different relationship with uh, Tara than she does with Jin. And I loved exploring that as well. And and I think I think that is something. It's I think that's something that can be very true as as you're growing up. It was true for me as a young adult that you you sometimes like look look at people or look up to people differently and differently than your siblings would and um 
Uh, and anyway, that was that was a lot of fun to write. I realize I can't say too much about it without giving too much away. I know, I know. She is <laughs> she's a character with secrets. Yes, um, yes. Uh, but it's I know I hadn't really thought of this until just this moment, but we were talking early about earlier about how the setting of the book is like so gray and dark and bleak and dreary. And then you throw this character, Billy, into the mix, and she's just like so colorful and vibrant and out there. And again, you get that like really cool contrast in the story. I love that. I hadn't thought about Billy just being like a splash of color on any page, but you're so right. Uh, she is, she's such a character. Um, and uh, yeah, that is so well said. So one of the things that I think really stands out about Billy is she has a super unique voice and a, a way of speaking that's different from any of the other characters um, and different from from contemporary people where did her voice come from did it just she showed up on the page and started talking and you just heard it or was it something that had to be kind of um molded and finessed you know i i think it just started kind of unfolding i i, I think i knew early on that i wanted billy to be a character that you, that you weren't sure about as a reader you know is is this a good person is is this a bad person i wanted to there to be some real like mystery around Billy and I, I wanted there to be mistrust of Billy. Um, and I think as I, as, as I started to do some of the dialogue, I started to feel like, well, if Billy, uh, if Billy comes off as someone who is very uneducated, uh, speaks without a lot of normal grammar rules, then there there's a certain type of person who's who's going to judge that and immediately be like this person isn't trustworthy and there's a certain type of person who who may not judge that i i it, it kind of just started to to roll off um one of my like favorite sort of early moments in the book is billy starts um starts reading from some books that she has um uh talking about the job that she's proposing and Jin's all of a sudden like hold on you can read you know <laughs> like especially in a world like this and in a post-apocalyptic world where folks are a lot more focused on survival than they are getting through school um you can you can easily jump to conclusions based on the way that uh, that someone speaks and sometimes those conclusions are right but sometimes they're wrong and um and i think that can create a lot of interesting dynamics and tension and and just be a lot of fun yeah no and it's interesting too to consider how that affects the other characters but also mm. how is that going to affect the reader um and as as a writer, you can kind of make intentional choices to kind of, you know, kind of mess with the reader's opinions and minds a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of the things I've I've seen in the early reviews. Folks really loved not knowing who to trust in this mm -hmm. book, and and it really kept them turning the pages. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm I'm glad that that's really resonated. All right, I've got one last question uh, to kind of change directions a little bit before we go on to our bonus round. Uh, you are a stay-at-home dad. Tell me a little bit about how you are managing to balance 
parenting, full-time parenting with the writing? Oh, it's it's not easy. I, uh, I, you know, my kids are eight and five, so it's now gotten a bit easier because they are, I have one in second grade and one in kindergarten, but mm-hmm. the the really uh, the toughest years were when I was first trying to get an agent and trying to um, and and in kind of the earlier stages of this book uh, and and my first books that I wrote I essentially wrote them uh, during nap time for uh, Caleb my younger son or during I I am fairly good about waking up early in the mornings and so I would write from like five until 6 30 and then I'd get myself ready and get the kids ready and Caleb would sometimes be home when he was very young but or get him ready for preschool and so forth so I you know I've been part of the 5 a.m club which uh I really loved and um and for me, it it was very powerful because I'd wake up and that first hour and a half of writing would sometimes be as good as anything else I'd do the rest of the day. And so just having that, just knowing I'd made some some progress, even if it was small, um, was really powerful, especially when weeks are, you know, a usual parenting week is you've got one or two kids homesick at some <laughs> point and there's some fire drill that just throws everything sideways. Um so, uh, so yeah, so, so having kind of some bit of routine I can count on was great. Um, I also have, uh, to really thank Caleb for being an incredible napper. Uh, my older <laughs> one, I, I don't know how I would have ever done it because he only ever napped for like 35 minutes at a time. Um, <laughs> Caleb, uh, Caleb is a beautiful two hour napper. God, uh, uh, God bless him. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. <laughs> Right. Yeah. My girls stopped taking um, naps way too early. And I was like, no, 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 we're not done with those. No, either. right, right. Please <laughs> let's keep going. Uh going, you know, reading alone like yeah. anything. Yeah. Um when, when it changed yeah, and I, you started going to school, were you like, what do I do with all this freedom? Or were you oh like my gosh. ready to focus? <laughs> It, it did feel like the world's my oyster, you know, it's like you had gotten, I had gotten used to like trying to do as much as I could in those like two hours that I would scrape together. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, uh, there, there's a lot more time. I quickly did learn that like uh, a lot more time, but you know, there's a lot of breaks and there's a lot of sickness and, um, but yeah, I feel super fortunate to do it. I owe a ton to my wife for, uh, for, uh, working her amazing job and career and, and supporting me while I, um, while I kind of made a career change too. So, so yeah, I feel I feel super fortunate to have gotten the time. I I, I kind of always thought like, oh, this will be a special time, and I thought about I, I have thought about the time home with Caleb as just like a special bond that we were going to have together. But it ended up just being a lot more than that. It ended up being amazing for me in terms of my career and creatively, and and now this book's coming out and I'm really focused on writing. Uh, it also ended up being uh, really great for my marriage too, because really I became the primary at home then and, and became the person who 
packed the diaper bag and who just realized when everything was out of stock. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I wasn't that person previously and I, and I wasn't pulling my weight the way I should. So um, anyway, it's it's been really a, a pretty incredible kind of life-changing experience. So I'm, I'm really thankful for it. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're you're in the right place doing the right thing. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And now I get to read this book and try to, you know, skip over uh, parts to my eight-year-old. And he's like, wait, wait, wait a second. I saw that word. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're getting pretty wise pretty fast. Yeah. Oh, it happens quickly. <laughs> how, how old are yours? Uh, nine-year-old twins. Um, and, and we are still homeschooling. We kind of fell in love with the homeschooling lifestyle and so decided not to put them in public school, um, which had not originally been the plan. And I love it. I love having them home. I really enjoy homeschooling and the freedom that that gives us. But, oh man, when I think about how they could be gone for like six to eight hours every day, I get pretty intense envy sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's very understandable. Uh, but yeah, there's there's gifts in all of it. Yes, um, pros and cons, pros and cons yes. for sure. Okay. Uh are you ready for our bonus round? Yes, I am. What book makes you happy? Uh so I wanted to mention something more um by Jackie Kelalia. Um Something More is her debut novel. Um, I read it uh, last year, came out in 2023, um, and is is just been one of my favorite young adult books that I've read over, over the past few years. Um, it's about a girl who receives an autism diagnosis uh, right before entering high school, and it's just laugh out loud funny. Um, it's boy obsessed. Um, it's got a, a big, loud Arab family. Jackie is Palestinian Canadian um, and and writes a lot of her own identity in the book. Uh, it opens on a scene where um, the main character, Jesse, is like waxing her unibrow into two separate eyebrows. I mean, it's it's just and it's so heartfelt. And the voice, I think it's like. I, I would follow Jesse through all four years of high school. You know, it's it's really a special book. Um, so uh, yeah, for folks of Jenny Han, I, I think it's um, it's just a must read. What are you working on next? Um, I am working on a couple of different books. Uh, I I have a another like adventure, adventure fantasy uh, concept that I'm working on um, that I've written into a bit and then I have an outline for. And then I have um, two other thrillers, actually. One is like a young adult contemporary thriller and the other one is um, is a more creepy adult thriller. Um, anyway, like I said early on, I'm a little bit all over the place in terms of what I read and um and i like to write across different genres too so yeah lots lots happening nice lastly where can people find you on my website uh dineshthrough.com and um i am most active in terms of social media on um tiktok um which is dineshmt9 awesome dinesh thank you so much for joining me 
Thank you, Marissa. This was so much fun. Uh, I really had a blast. Thank you for having me. Readers, I hope you will check out Into the Sunken City. It is out now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore, but if you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Please don't forget that my new book is also out tomorrow. That is with a little luck. I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, and we have some new merchandise on our Etsy and Spring pages. Next week, I will be chatting with Hafsa Faisal about her vampire heist novel, A Tempest of Tea. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay inspired, keep writing, and whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.